0: Welcome to the Life Links Podcast, a Latina podcast for the modern cultura. I'm your host Consuelo Crosby, a Peruana, California native, structural engineer, mother, and your amiga for all things Latina. Here we honor the women who navigate multiple cultures, both aquí and allá, and somewhere in between, providing that safe place for you to speak your truth, celebrate la cultura, and find belonging. In this Comunidad, join us every Wednesday on your favorite streaming platform to listen to your new amigas as they share their journeys of lessons learned, barriers they overcome, and the joys of living life with pure authenticity. Encuentras your voice and discover the life meant for you. Hola chicas, how's it all going for you this last week of August? literally rolling into that infamous last weekend of summer feels, Labor Day. Those ideas of fall and cool temps and those pumpkin spice lattes are starting to take over our margarita and bikini days, amigas. But I'm the warm beach, cold baby kind of goddess, so I won't be buying into that anytime soon, especially since my birthday is the end of October. And I just keep the party rolling, even past that. So keep those summer days going. Keep the vibes hopping, the love of outdoors on those sunny, lazy days, and filling up on the happy hormone from the sun. So happy that you all got a lot of love and compassion from the last episodes with Victoria Blumenfeld, Latina artist that spoke to an impressive upbringing and the fight to be free. Did you not just want to fend for yourself and not let others take over your life? Ah, this community is so kind and embracing of all those kind of struggles to overcome barriers that get put in your life. True believers in you, in what you're going through and always cheering you on, and literally, literally here to help you. Because we know, we definitely know that we tend to be the last ones to ask for help. Even if we're going downhill, even if we're going down in flames, we are still crawling to do it ourselves. We wear ourselves out, not only in persevering for ourselves, but then adding on to the load by helping others, which we love. We love taking care of our community, comunidad, our tribe. It fills us up. But we totally forget, dismiss, refuse to ask for help from others. Which is exactly what we're going to talk about today with our fab guest, Carol Umansor, a Latina scientist who went through all the hazing of being a woman in STEM, which led her to create her own emotional wellness business, Born to be Seen. You will cringe listening to how difficult and biased it is for Latinas who bring the best game to the field of science and then be cheering as you learn how Carol went "Uh, uh, uh-uh-uh and implemented a framework to change that scene. She has a double undergrad emphasis, uniting science and sociology because she saw the power of humanizing science which led her to two masters, one in molecular biology, one in education, and seven years of teaching science in class. There's two NSF grants and now her own business and podcast, Born to be Seen, that centers the idea that we were all born to be seen and celebrated as we are. Through an emotional wellness practice of self-celebration, love, and compassion, Carol says that we can shine in ways that we were intended she is exactly who you want to hear as we press into this last quarter of the year celebrating ourselves loving ourselves and finishing this year off in joy energy and gratitude so here we go amigas welcome to carol umansor so tell me about your business born to be seen
1: I left teaching, like really wanting to start a business or do something for myself. And so, that's kind of where I started to explore and figure out like what I wanted to do. You know, like I said, my background's in science education. So, a lot of the opportunities that were coming up were like science ed, but I was so burnt out. I was like, uh, I don't want to do it anymore. Yeah. <laughs> science ed. And um took me a while, but, you know, I also come from a uh, community of science educators that are very kind of justice oriented like social justice oriented so some of the practices in business did not resonate with my spirit <laughs> and so i needed you to think? really uh yeah it's <laughs> so not just you I carol <laughs> i know so it's yeah. intense that was part of my research was figuring out like well what can i do that is aligned with who i am and with my values and all that and You know, I started to find, like, uh, groups that were led by women, women of color, and just, you know, just doing things differently. And so, that's kind of when I started doing, like, these workshops, and I created the business name and a little, like, social media page for it, and, like, a website, and I've done, like, workshops um, that I've just offered on my own, or at conferences, and different events. And the podcast is a part of that. Mm -hmm. This first season is all about building a
0: practice of emotional wellness. Oh, that's brilliant and beautiful and so necessary. I love it. Thank you. Born to be seen the podcast. What is there more born to be scenes? Is there a movie? Is there a oh. book?
1: What else are you doing? I love this. <laughs> I could be. Yeah. <laughs> well, I have my little IG that's called born to be seen. And that's the name of my business that I've been working on. And oh, so like- that's why this is like the podcast component. <laughs> I just have it on the same one. Oh. Yeah. So it's just B to be seen on um, Instagram. And that's initial B, yeah? Yeah. Oh. Initial B and then T-O-B and then S-E-E-N. <laughs> love it.
0: I love it. I love the name. It's so intentional. I, oh, thank I, I got it right away. It's like, thank oh, you. yeah, I know. Right? Good. <laughs> oh, that's so exciting. Right. I could see that. I hear you because you are very, very busy. You have your body and mind trying to be in sync, but you are a very busy woman. Why don't we go back to, I almost feel like you should Benjamin Button. Like, let's go backwards from this point. Like, how did you get here? Because you have a beautiful journey, a very intentional journey. From what I've learned from you, it seems like you've always lived this one life, very passionate in supporting women, very passionate with science. So Mm -hmm. amongst that, do you want to start at the beginning or do you want to go backwards? Because it all sinks. (laughs) It all has brought you to this one point.
1: Yeah, definitely. I can start from the beginning, I think. Yeah, let's learn about your heritage. Yeah, definitely. Um, Yeah, I think even that is interesting on how at that point, like, my ancestry and heritage led me to science. <laughs> my family's from El Salvador so I was born here in the Bay Area and uh, both my parents immigrated to San Francisco in the 80s during the Civil War kind of having parents that experienced that trauma and then just the trauma of being undocumented here in the US was kind of like a go 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 situation. They always like really encouraged us like my sister and I to like do well in school and be present there and do the best that we can. And they always told us we were smart. I remember as a kid like being interested in how things work. Like I used to take things apart (laughs) and like put things back together. (laughs) And uh, I did like, this was more like physical science, like a camp where you build like a robot, like little, with little motors, Mm -hmm. you know? And I remember just being really into stuff like that when I was a kid. My mom she came here. She didn't get to graduate from high school, and part of it had to do with her being a, a female, and her family not wanting to invest in like her education at that time. And so, she tried to find ways to get education. Like she left her home pretty early and joined like a convent and got to travel with them. Oh. And then she decided she wanted to like come to the U.S. She came to the Bay Area. And just did all kind of like the immigrant work that is a lot of restaurant kind of you know mm. work. and mm-hmm. uh, my dad also did that. and uh, eventually, my mom got amnesty but my dad didn't, which is I don't oh, understand how fun. that happened during yeah, that's different during like the 1986 uh, Reagan administration, but my dad was able to get like residency through his job. and so we had to move to LA. And while we were there, my mom, like, her main job was to, like, take care of my sister and I, but she would put us in daycare and would go to this training to become a nurse assistant. <laughs> she, like, while we were in L.A., she, like, became a nurse assistant. Mm. I don't think she taught my dad at first. Like, she was just, like, kind of sneakily doing it. And <laughs> I mean, we didn't know her later. I didn't notice. Yeah, but she got certified. And then when we moved back to the Bay Area, that's what she did. She was mm. the nurse assistant for, like, 20-something-plus years. And so I saw my mom, like, working at hospitals. And that's what kind of got me to wanting to uh-huh. do science. You know, I wanted to be like my mom. Okay, <laughs> That's kind of why I became a bio major, because I had this like pre-med idea or trajectory mm-hmm. initially.
0: Wow. So you're another generation of this strong, I'm going to figure it out, it doesn't matter if I've seen it before, <laughs> kind of women in your family. Very strong. Mm-hmm. I, love, I love your mother's story. Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah, she definitely has a story. And I think it's on both sides because there's very strong, like, women in my dad's family, too. My sister and I got that messaging from our parents. So we didn't really grow up with the traditional, like, you're going to get married and so I'm going to take care of you. Like, they would literally be like, you're going to take care of yourself. And, you know, when your mom and I are gone, it's just going to be you and your sister. So stop fighting cuz you're going to have to oh. take care of each other.
0: <laughs> this
1: is brilliant so, parenting. This is really brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> but that was just the idea that we grew up with. Mm-hmm. Like my sister and I just grew up with like, oh, we have to go to college, we have to go get our degrees so that we can take care of ourselves. It was just sort of like very independent kind of mindset I think yeah. and I mean part of it was probably from the experience in war and just like their own childhood and stuff. I think that is a very Mm -hmm.
0: different cultural message because usually it is, you're going to stay with the family. You're going to help the family. Mm -hmm. You're going to take care of us, which can be conflicting Mm -hmm. to your own dreams.
1: Right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And there was some of that too. I'm like the oldest of 50 plus cousins. (laughs) Like my sister's (laughs) the oldest and then she went to college and then I was the oldest here. Oh, and so um, there was some of that, like, you know, I did help my family out for a long time and I did stay in the home for a long time. Mm-hmm. That, w- that was part of the culture of like, oh, you leave when you're married. And, you know, I was like in my 20s and I wasn't married. <laughs> and, then I, and I was like hitting 30 and I, was, I wasn't married. And the only way that they were like, they give me approval is if I bought a house. <laughs> So I bought a house. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and support with that. But, that's a but pretty yeah, high that's, bar was- to me. Like, okay, you want me to
0: jump through that hoop? No problem. I'm going to work on that because yeah. I am out of here. <laughs>
1: yeah. I mean, I think they, like, really wanted to support my independence and my sister's independence because she left as soon as she was 18. She went to New York City. She went to, on the whole other side of the country. And they didn't stop her. They were, like, very supportive of her. I did end up staying here. I ended up doing my undergrad at the University of San Francisco and, you know, and also just being closer to family. But there was part of that. So I have feel pulled and I've had to do my own work with my own kind of boundaries and needs and, uh-huh. uh, and all that too. Yeah. yeah, To
0: hold your own amongst both the cultural pull towards family and then the cultural expectation of really excelling in education. Because you went in through mm-hmm. to some really difficult subjects, really difficult majors in school. Oh, yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> I was not prepared because I went to Title One school, you know, here in the Bay Area in San Francisco, which is low income, low resourced. So nobody thinks someone was actually going to go study science from here. <laughs> like that was like the thought through my mind because oh. literally everything that I learned it was just moving so fast. Like, you know, I feel like everything I learned in chemistry, for instance, we learned in not even the first quarter, like the first two weeks. That was like my full year of chemistry. <laughs> we covered in like two weeks of my college course. And I just remember, you know, asking classmates because they just seemed to know everything. Mm-hmm. And it's like, how do you know this? And they would all say, oh, we did it in high school. We did it in high school. It was definitely like a shock. I didn't even know how to study. Like I would review my notes the day before when I was in high school and get an A, you know, the next day. <laughs> and oh, yeah. I didn't have any, like, study skills. I just was really underprepared, and it was a huge struggle to be a science major.
0: So sure, I can't imagine. That seems really overwhelming right away. You're saying after two weeks, you just get hit with this tsunami of, oh, I'm not <laughs> where I thought I would be. And so... Yeah. What helped you get through that struggle? Because you pursued it. It comes from oh, within. Yeah. We know that. We become very strong women. Yeah. But what helped you get through that struggle of, no, I do love this. I do belong here.
1: I just need what? My first thought is like, because I'm stubborn. <laughs> I'm a Capricorn. And we're stubborn. We're like, I already started. I'm not stopping until I'm done. I don't care what it takes quitting was like never a thought like that was just not an option for me and so like i was gonna figure out a way to do it I barely crossed the border for this you know like yeah. that was hard like now i i need to figure this out and it was hard because the culture of science is really not a welcoming one there's a nature article it just came out about how toxic it is and how much folks are struggling here today 2023 there was one point where I was trying to be a-, a chem major, and I went to talk to, like, the person who was the chair at that time. She talked about how she didn't think I was strong at math, you know, and she told me I didn't belong in bio, and she thought I belonged in environmental science, which at that time, in 2003, people did not, like, it was at the bottom yeah. of the barrel. <laughs> there were some professors that I really appreciated and gave me a little hope, like the the professor I had for Gen Chem. Um, I remember it was like a bunch of us in his office hours because we were like struggling and like giving us feedback. And that just kinda told me like, oh, he like believes I can do this. Mm-hmm. Now looking back at it and knowing about like stereotype mm-hmm. threat where you kind of get that activated mm-hmm. and your brain shuts down because totally going through that when I would have my exams <laughs> and making mistakes just because I was getting like flooded or overwhelmed being like one of the only Latinas in my classes. And so this was all stuff I didn't get in high school. I didn't get the complex language that I needed to be able to, you know, speak in science. And so it was just like a, a struggle. And the other thing that I did that year, um, I didn't really have like a community within science. Like, I got some friends and things, but I didn't have like a community. It was very competitive. Lots of people also like were pre-med. They were just like really competitive lives. And I was always really passionate about like social justice. And there were some culturally focused clubs on campus that I ended up finding. And that was really like what became a support system for me. There was one called Faces, which was a freedom alliance of culturally empowered students. And it was just like a bunch of cool. Yeah, like students of color. And we had like a, an advisor and, and pretty much everything I know about systems of oppression and like social justice and movement, I learned through there, like through the workshops they would put on for us. And so that was something that was like really impactful. And there's another one called STEM, which was uh, storytelling to engage multiculturalism, which is also like this, and they fed us. That was the other reason I would go to that one. They had dinner. <laughs> first things every- <laughs> first. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The folks in those groups became like my community and my support system. It was just me and my other friend who were science majors and struggling. And after that, I ended up adding sociology. Yeah, that's really kind of what pulled me through. Oh,
0: my goodness. So you have your double majored student graduating mm-hmm. from undergrad. Yeah. Wow. And if it weren't for finding just for the sake of community, which is why we do the podcast. It's to create that strength of community so you can understand you're not alone. And that just mm-hmm. having someone who understands the situation, being first gen Latina here, I mean, that alone to be understood, mm-hmm. you just exhale. So it's just like, okay, I don't have to explain this. I don't have mm-hmm. to justify it, or defend it. That's really powerful. You spoke to um, the stereotype threat. So, Mm-hmm. Let's speak more on that because I'm an engineer, you're science major and masters, but mm-hmm. I think any woman, uh, especially woman of color, Latina, going into a situation of where you're very much in the one, two, three percent experiences feels this. So, can you speak mm-hmm. more to both stereotype threat in general and also? How culturally, because of the narrative, culturally, it gets triggered anyway?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So stereotype threat is pretty much this concept. I think it was coined by Claude Steele from Stanford. It has to do with the stereotypes that are um, connected to our identity. So this could be like for women in science or math, or it can be for black folks and test scores or things like that, or, you know, Latinas in science when you're made aware of your identity in the setting, you have a hard time really performing. So it affects your performance. Like say you're Black and Latino and you hear on the news, everything is like, oh, they have low test scores or they don't perform or they're not present or they don't make the mark. And then you're here taking your GRE or your SAT or whatever it is. And that's in the back of your head. It kind of impacts the performance. Whereas If you didn't have that in the back of your mind, uh, you'd perform how you would just normally. So it just impacts the way that you address like a a task or situation when this like negative stereotype. So this is like a
0: subconscious because it it got into your mind and it's sitting back there and it gets triggered when Mm -hmm. that situation actually occurs.
1: Yeah, one thing that would happen to me that felt like stereotype threat was, okay, I would be like studying when I finally figured out how to study. And I would have everything, all my notes, reviewing that. I would feel very solid about my content knowledge. And then the test would come. And then I would start doubting myself like, oh my gosh, like, is this right? I think it's right. You start to sort of second guess yourself. It's like a a psychology theory. So yeah, it's like very kind of in your psyche.
0: Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Oh, it's so wicked,
1: too, because you could hear it at a really young age and
0: not even realize that it is in a truth because it's all you know as a child. Mm -hmm. You're just absorbing like a sponge and yet Mm -hmm. it will come back 20 years later and could smack you because it's just it's in your head already. You took all of that, the experience, uh, the understanding, the actual factual data by, for instance, Claude Steele and other researchers saying, no, this is a thing. And you took it and mm-hmm. rolled with it, right? Because that just mm-hmm. pushed you into
1: your next very determined journey, right? And yeah, yeah. So it, it was something I was always really interested in, I think, because coming from my background and then into university of science major And not being able to navigate or just not being able to figure out like what was going on. There was a lot of opportunity for me to just internalize that. And so I think I needed to figure out what was happening. Because I, I think at one point I realized like it's not just me. Like it was other people who I went to school with that were experiencing the same thing. And so... This sort of gave me like a wider lens, like a framework to understand what was happening, like a social, political, historical context to place everything in and then theories to kind of explain Mm -hmm. what was happening within that. I wanted to strengthen my content knowledge a little bit more. And that was the reason I started looking at bio programs, because I knew there I could take graduate level bio classes. And I was really interested in this, like, merging of how of identity and science and, you know, that experience. And so that's when I started looking at different programs, like what was available. And I found at San Francisco State, there is a lab that kind of did both. So I was going to be able to take graduate level um, science courses and also do my thesis, and my work on women of color in science.
0: That's beautiful. Really empowering. I love this. The universe put you on the planet with one mission and you're discovering it more and more as you go through all your experiences. What did you discover besides the known? What creative foresight did you bring forward that would change this environment that would affect it to be welcoming and have parody for women of color?
1: Yeah. So at at that time, there's a few findings that came up and it was interesting because the focus of the study, it it was on graduate women of color. Mm. So women who've had already gone through their undergrad and we were asking them like, what helped you persist? A lot of them had talked about um, feeling like they couldn't be themselves in science and this sort of tension, I called the tensions with identity. So just like this tension of feeling like you have to be someone else to be a scientist. Like you can't show up as who you are. Some of the things that they mentioned that really supported them in kind of persisting was finding like a really good mentor. Some of them were like mentors of color. So folks who, they could see themselves like reflected in. Um, But sometimes it was just like folks that supported them and, you know, gave them like that additional boost when they needed it. And, you know, if they made mistakes, they like supported them through it. Mm -hmm. There was also the commitment to give back. So they like really felt like they wanted to find a way to give back.
0: Do you mm-hmm. think it helps to see beyond the immediate moment? Like, yes, this is difficult. Yes, I want to quit. But if I do quit, then I won't be able to help or become what I want for the social good. For people that are out there, mm-hmm. it, things will remain the same. That could be both a burden and a blessing. Yeah,
1: yeah, definitely. I think it's tough. And if you have like the community support to kind of move through those difficult things, I think it really helps and serves as a tool. Mm-hmm. But it, it can be an isolating experience, I think, too.
0: And so now you've moved forward into a space where you're really making this happen.
1: Yeah, definitely. I think um, after I I finished that program, I ended up being a science teacher Mm -hmm. for seven years in middle and high school. And that's actually where I implemented what I found. (laughs) Like I intentionally created curriculum or like would adjust my curriculum to really implement those components into them and really contextualize the content in the lives of the young people I was teaching. This program that I went to, that i work for now and that I've been working with It's called SF Build and pretty much it's just all about creating resources, networks and like community for marginalized students in biomedical science. And so, oh my gosh, there's just like a lot of facets to it. And the one that I came into was supporting students with getting like scholarships and funding. And at that time, my first year or so there my mentor. She's also an Athena. She just forwarded me a a grant. It was a a grant from the NSF. And she's like, okay, what do you think about this? Wow. It was a National Science Foundation grant that was specifically for Hispanic serving institutions. And it was also under the bucket of improving undergraduate science education. So it was like a science education project. And we used my work from 2011 to like prepare a grant proposal and we got it and so it was phenomenal and great and really awesome to just to do that and so that's the other piece I've been doing um at the school is this research component also looking at women of color now at the undergraduate level and also looking at microaggressions and microaffirmations
0: first congratulations because two parts for (laughs) the big congratulations I think First part, receiving an NSF grant, a National Science Foundation grant, and for those in the audience who don't know, this is a federal grant. This is a big deal. Mm-hmm. You're up against international competitors for these grants, and it's based on your work. Epic.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: It's based on your sole work. Okay. But it's ultimately hugely rewarding to think that all your life, you were on the right path. You were always living true to yourself because this moment wasn't coincidental. It was all meant to be. The fact that you stayed Mm -hmm. on this track, that you felt you were living your soul out loud, staying true to your identity, even with stereotypes thrown in there, even with a narrative out there, lack of representation. Just huge congratulations on all of it. You're passionate um, about the social justice and very supportive of women in color, um, in the science fields and, and just overall knowing the barriers <laughs> they come up against. Um, and pulling that all back to how it affects your well being and your mental health. When did yeah. you have that realization? When did you have that? Aha, wait a minute. <laughs> I'm doing all this, but you must have been on threads doing all that you did.
1: Yeah, I think when I was a teacher, Mm -hmm. that's really when that came up, I feel like your students in many ways serve as like a mirror to just different parts of yourself. And some of those parts are kind of hard, you know, to look at or to have reflected back at you. There's parts of our psyche that kind of get triggered when we have, like, young people again. So there's more moments that happen to little Carol oh. or teenage Carol that I, like, blacked out. <laughs> that oh. it kind of just warps you back into that. One of the first things I started to do was, like, I started doing mindfulness. I really started to understand, like, the power of mindfulness and just, like, little decisions that we make. And, like, little things that trigger us that sometimes it moves so fast. I joined a program here in Oakland. It was a uh, East Bay Meditation Center. It was called PETA. I don't remember what it stands for, but it was for folks who were working in the community to do just like a year-long mindfulness sort oh, of wow. like course. Yeah, yeah. So it was like on Sundays for four hours, and uh, and that really helped me understand everyday mindfulness. This was just like really kind of recognizing our thoughts, yeah. sensations, just just as you're moving through life and just slowing down. And that's what really started to help me make changes in my life. I was also learning about, you know, having a trauma-informed classroom and how that affects the brain. And that's what really got me into learning more about like the body and how a lot of what we experience kind of goes through our prefrontal cortex. It's very like intellectual based, but there's there's trauma and there's things mm-hmm. that live in our body that also need to like maneuver and move to be able to really release things mm-hmm. and uh there's a book that i remember i read around that time called the body keeps score mm-hmm. yep about that that same thing i also did like kind of like a peer group counseling sort of program and that also helped me see the power of community in healing because i think there's like there's definitely a lot of power and richness and just having like those one-on-ones you know but when you have like a community of people who are like there to support you emotionally and you know i came in from a household where like crying was not okay like i was a (laughs) crybaby and Mm -hmm. crying was just like a week i had internalized that i had internalized that those ideas and in this program, I had people who like cheer me on when I was like crying or going through something wrong. <laughs> like, I'm so happy for you. Like, you're you're doing great, you know, and like, just really helped change my perspective. And all of that combined, because I feel like there's these components of being like bringing self-awareness, yeah. but also understanding our body and how it impacts us so that we can slow down. And then it comes to interpersonally. Well, now I have this awareness. How can I make sure that if there's a rupture that I can reach out for repair.
0: Wow, you bring up really both powerful points and like stop me in my track points. Like I can align with a lot of it. I understand a lot of it. And then I'm doing the wait, what? (laughs) On some of it. um, (laughs) Speaking to the very fast American culture, just go, 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 succeed, succeed, succeed mentality. uh, Valeria Low. Uh, we just had on at the end of season four with Uncolonized Latinas is the book she wrote, mm-hmm. and it speaks to that. It speaks to specifically that where you you lose yourself, and you burn out, and there's just this achievement mentality of becoming someone else, not even yourself. Mm-hmm. It's not yourself. You're trying to mm-hmm. become a better version of you. You're trying to become this person that is viewed as successful in the american culture and how right. that is not sustainable that is mm-hmm. yeah mentally unhealthy you will burn out you will crash and it's not even that because people will see that as weakness but rather that's mm-hmm. not who you are you're not mm-hmm. becoming who you are so i really value that same experience you're bringing up here with the people that you mentioned but also this is the the flip the wait a minute, you have to unpack it and reframe it yeah. for yourself.
1: That's a lot. Yeah, 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 it's definitely a lot. And and I think that there's, from what I've read and, and seen, There's ways to start to unpack it or start to process it just with that part of your brain, just with like the emotional part of your brain. And a lot of that has nothing to do with thinking, which is hard for, I think, us. Yeah. (laughs) For our society. For the, (laughs) (laughs) because for like just our culture, because a lot of it, like even our therapy, it goes through your thinking brain. That's part of like the skill, that's part of the skill set that sometimes young people get that. you know, sometimes they were able to have caretakers that modeled that for them or you know held them while they, while they cried or mm. so now they are able to be compassionate to themselves and their brain doesn't go to why? <laughs> it's like, I need to take a break. I need to like take care of myself. I need like a hug They have like a, a pathway through it where if we were kind of stopped where we were told like you're not know, supposed to feel that way, You shouldn't act that way when you're three or, you know, two, then it's harder to access when you're older.
0: Okay. Okay. Mm -hmm. So if someone out there listening is going, oh, (laughs) so this is why I respond the way I do. It could be a myriad. Mm -hmm. That's a very personal response too, based on your own personal experience. Where would you guide them back to? What would be an easy point for them to access when it comes to understanding how to reframe a response?
1: I think it starts with, with ourselves. Cause I think that we're like most critical of ourselves. And mm. I think this goes to like the reparenting of yourself. I need to go back to having compassion for myself. Like if I start to say mean things or I start to beat myself up or get like all kind of flustered, just kind of catching it and really just telling myself like just basic things like Carol, you were doing your best. I know it's hard. This is hard and, and just be really gentle with yourself. I feel like that's like an important component because once we can start really just having that compassion for ourselves and like that forgiveness, like it really helps us just, I think this arm even for ourselves and, and to other people and to accept the help and to know like, who's my safe haven outside myself? What is it that works for me and, and supports me? And I would say like that'd be a good starting point.
0: Oh, that's beautiful. Really helpful because you clarify it so well in a step by step. I love that focusing time for ourselves and creating our own. Yeah safe haven rather than expecting it to come from someone else because they don't know. Do you know how do you keep your safe haven intact when people are intentionally coming into you?
1: Yeah, I I think for me, one, I I know exactly what I need when there's been any kind of rupture in my life, whether I have control over it or Mm. not, or, whether I have access to the person to communicate it or not, like I know exactly what I need, and I have like a team, like I feel like I have a, a support, uh, a community, and like people that I know I can go to, and I know exactly kind of how to process it. So, okay, I feel like when anything does come up, I immediately know like what I need to do say like I'm gonna have a, a difficult conversation and I know it's gonna be difficult like I start to plan ahead like okay um I think of it as like a little bubble like okay like the, the conversation's in the center and I need to think about that conversation with clouds around it it's not just like an hour hour and a half conversation this is gonna be like a four-hour event you know
0: oh. um, because I'm gonna
1: need to prep for myself I might need to process and journal or I might need to kind of take care of myself or just make sure I clear stuff before it. So. If I'm feeling anxious, I just have room for that. If I'm in the conversation and I know it's, you know, a tough conversation, I come out of it feeling frazzled, like then I have some some more room around that. Maybe I need to go to the spa, yeah. <laughs> you know, jump in the cold plunge. I don't know. <laughs> or, um, or I know I can reach out to some friends or, you know, some family or just kind of let them know, are you available you yeah. know, after the time or do you want to go on a walk or can you help me process I just kind of think of that as like my little backpack of what do I need to take out of my backpack? I have different tools, different resources, community. And I know what to do to kind of take care of myself and um, stay in alignment with myself. But that's the most important to me is to stay in alignment with my spirit and like who I am. um, Because I feel like I live too long (laughs) out of alignment. I like really frazzled Mm -hmm. and I don't like it. So now (laughs) that I have Like this practice of mindfulness, I can see myself like the Capricornist sometimes just wants to like push forward. But I know that for myself, what's most important is to come out of whatever situation feeling like I didn't betray myself and who I was. And so if my Capricornist wants to just like push somebody over and I know I'm gonna feel horrible after, (laughs) I have to like stop myself and be like, okay, I know there's other options. That's not my only option. Um, and this option feels more aligned with who I am right now. <laughs> and so that's that's also part of like my practice.
0: Okay, those are three powerful points for me personally that I took away from what you said, which I am going to memorize that for myself. And I can see where your your podcast and your teachings and your workshops must be really successful with people because you speak so eloquently yeah. and so intentionally. Um, but for myself, it's like, one, when it comes to someone breaching your safe haven, it's like, don't, en- don't engage with what's actually happened. Keep the focus on mm-hmm. yourself and how it's affecting you um, mm-hmm. so that you do take care of yourself and stay true to who you are in it, not react. Mm-hmm. Secondly, and really important, and this goes to slowing down your life, so that you can plan ahead for your own Mm well-being. I love that part of giving yourself enough time to plan ahead and focus Mm -hmm. your mind, relax your mind, relax your body in order to Mm -hmm. prepare for that caustic. Maybe stay at that point all the time because you never know organically when a caustic situation is going to enter your life. Mm-hmm. And then knowing what to do after the fact, already have it in place, rather than stay in that caustic reaction, you know, too mm-hmm. long and have it affect so much more of your life. Wow. And then
1: all of it, all of it. Third point, staying true to who you are. I like how you summarize and say, I feel like that's the most important point is that you're, you're the most important, you know, and, and someone's always going to care. Like I feel like in my life, even strangers <laughs> that I wouldn't expect that I didn't know that I could receive help uh-huh. from have come through and showed up for me. I've been a stranger, you know, mm-hmm. to someone yeah. that I didn't know that I could support. And there's always support, so even if like my crew, if none of them are available, which also is rare, <laughs> <you> know, like <laughs> somebody's always available.
0: <laughs> so, like I said earlier, this is a lot of who you are to the core. So now you have. The first episode of the podcast, Born to be Seen, is it out yet or is it coming
1: out? I have the the trailer out now and then I'm doing the first episode this week. So it should come Thursday, I believe. Yeah. Okay.
0: The episode is dropping on the week of July 19th. That's awesome. And how often are the episodes going to drop?
1: Oh, well, I have them all recorded. And so I'm going to be releasing them just once a week. And again, to refresh, this um,
0: sequence of episodes is all focusing on...
1: Yeah, building a practice of emotional wellness. So it has folks sharing their stories and, you know, kind of what their tools they use in their own practice. And I have a couple of solo episodes talking a little bit more about me for people who don't know me. Yeah, <laughs> and. For sure. Um, And just some other kind of strategies that I use too. That's the first season. And the next season, I want to kind of merge it more into science and talk about like the science of emotional wellness and the culture of science and the emotional wellness in that piece. And so that's like my plan.
0: Oh, that's really unique. Now, you're bringing the science component to it. I'm not familiar with many people who have merged those two that have experienced it, studied, researched it and can speak uniquely to it, that's going to be a really beautiful podcast. You are to the core. You were born to do this and you've stayed on this journey and it's always playing out positively forward. I love this question because for people that I've had on, it's so unknown, the response, but if you were to walk through a portal into a different universe for yourself, uh, what do you hope
1: that universe would look like? Wow. Okay. (laughs) If I were to walk into a portal into a different universe, I feel like the first thing that comes to mind is like people get to just be, you know, and you get to live your life sharing your gifts because you want to not because you have to like try and make like all this money or try and make it make money for mm-hmm. you. But you get to just kind of be it to be in community. You get to have time to be with your friends and your family. The world still run. <laughs> the world doesn't <laughs> collapse <laughs> because people have time to be in community. Like we are connected to nature. Like there's just more access to nature I think that would be like my other universe. You just get to kind of just be in community and express yourself and share that and, you know, experience others in that way.
0: In nature, in the natural world. I love it. Mm-hmm. I want to be there too. Tell me what the portal is when you find yeah. it. <laughs> <I wanna come. laughs> okay, I'll tell you. <laughs> oh. Yes, I'll drop the link. There's <laughs> Yes, yes. Yeah, we'll figure it out. We can find it. We can create it. If any of the listeners wanted to learn more about what you're doing or contact you, what would be the best way for them?
1: Okay, the best place to find me, I'd say, would be Instagram. So my Instagram handle is at B, the letter, (laughs) T-O-B-S-E-N. So yes, B2BC on Instagram would be the best place to message me or contact me or see what I'm doing. Okay, we'll make sure we have that in the show
0: notes, your link, so people can have it for sure your Instagram handle. Thank you so, so very much for offering your time, offering your wisdom, offering your joy and reframing us to go towards (laughs) joy. really appreciate it.
1: No, thank you so much for having me. Super fun. Such a great conversation. So I definitely appreciate it. Thank you. Yes. Best of luck. Let's have the
0: listeners transfer over. Born to be seen. Episode one dropping this Thursday. Well, which will be July 20th.
1: Um, You may have
0: a whole sequence out by the time we have this out there. But perfect. Perfect. All the best to you again. Thank you so much. We really appreciate you. We value you and we want to be part of your joy. Wow. 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 Okay, how are you feeling now? Doesn't Carol bring out the fire in you to take time for that self-care before, during and after a trying event or situation that you see coming? That was such a strong lesson to learn from Carol. I mean, her workshops and empowerment sessions must be full of joy because her happiness just spills over the sound waves. I have to tell you, being an engineer, it is so rare to find someone with that happiness and sense of humor in the STEM fields. The lack of that personality is hard enough. But then add the bias and exclusion that Carol spoke of, and it's amazing that Latinas keep rocking it in STEM. But we do, and Carol is literally changing the academic scene for more women of color to thrive in a compassionate and embracing community there. So join us next week when we do a special Pod Club episode with a side-by-side of Carol Umansor and Amarani Villegas, who joined us in April. Two Latina scientists who are kicking down the doors to STEM and ensuring that multitudes of Latinas can thrive in a compassionate community of inclusion. Stay safe this long weekend and use that extra time off to really care for yourself. Love you all. Step into your truth, ladies. Ciao. Really appreciate the time you take to rate and review the podcast. Get the backstory and what you've heard here today and reach out on our website at lifelinks.com. That's L N X. Because it's about time, it's about us. Stay in the groove on our social media at lifelinks and get ready to make your move, ladies. Viva!